As Guy Opperman is reappointed pensions minister for the third time, his push for mandatory disclosure of climate change strategies encountered some criticism in the pensions industry. In the same week, the pensions regulator also published new rules for trustees, with some criticizing the watchdog for not risking enough and taking a safe approach in this area. I'm Maria Espadinha, deputy editor at Pensions Expert, and joining me to discuss these topics are Adrian Bolding, director of policy at Now Pensions, and Rosalind Connor, partner at Arc Pensions Law. Adrian, I would start with you. Guy Opperman being reappointed for a third time, was that something that you expected? Are you happy to see this continuity in in government for pensions? It's really good from a continuity point of view, Maria. I'm not sure any of us expected what was going to happen in that, that cabinet reshuffle. We were all a bit surprised by the outcomes. But to have Guy reappointed is super. Um, Theresa, Secretary of State, also reappointed. So we can go straight on with all the changes that need to be done in pensions without having to re-educate the ministerial team. That definitely is the point I was thinking of. I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough like me, to think back to the Labour government from 97. In the first 10 years, they had something like 12 different pensions ministers. And I had once a transaction that had to wait because the minister had resigned and the regulations on apportionment were on his desk waiting to be signed. And we had to wait while the new one was appointed. So it is great to get some continuity. We got continuity under uh, having Sir Steve Webb for a length of time. And it is great because you do begin to feel that Guy Opperman really does begin to get to understand what's going on and get his feet under the table. But even before he was reappointed, um, there was this news that a new amendment was being introduced in the Pension Schemes Bill for mandatory disclosure for climate changes. Some industry bodies like the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association have already criticised it, saying that it will give unprecedented powers to the government to determine investment strategies. Which perspective do you think is right? Adrian, do you think that the government is right to push for this or do you think it's too much? Well, we're, we're in save the planet mode here. Literally. And yes, the government are clearly taking climate change very seriously and they are prepared to wade in and change the law in order to make sure that trustees can take effective action. I think the exciting thing when you probe into that amendment is it says that in making their investment decisions, particularly with regard to climate change, the trustees will have to have regard to guidance, which is going to be published by DWP, obviously, That's some way down the track yet. We haven't seen that. But we know what guidance says. Guidance will say trustees should do this. Trustees should do that. So it will enable the government to set down some new ideas that trustees should follow that will help them to address the climate change imbalance and will help the trustees where currently perhaps they're sitting thinking my fiduciary duty is in my members' best interest. Yes, I know I'd love to save the planet, but actually I've got to just press on and get the best investment return I can for them. So I think it will be hugely important and very, very helpful to trustees. I'm afraid I don't take the same position at all. I'm afraid I'm on the PLSA side here. Firstly, because not wanting to put it too glibly, if the government wants to do something about climate change, they need to stop fussing around with what is invested in by trustees and start punishing companies that behave in ways that are not good for the climate rather than doing it by the back door by saying, oh, great, if I stop people investing in them, they'll stop their behaviour. No, actually, if you tax people, if you regulate people, that changes behaviour. I'm really worried that this is the government saying, well, this is the thing we're doing about climate change. I'm also, the problem is, the point you were making earlier, Adrian, about fiduciary duties... That set down 
under law at the moment. It's very, very clear that trustees have to maximise returns. That's what they have to do. Now, sometimes that's consistent with taking account of climate change, particularly with longer-term investments. Actually, it's not always. And the problem is what the government isn't doing is changing that law. Giving people guidance and saying you'll need to take your guidance into account doesn't change that law. It's rather like the problem we have for ages about bulk transfers being subject to worries about scams. Loads of guidance coming to trustees. What we didn't do for years, and we're now eventually doing, is changing the law that made them make those transfers. If the government is serious about climate change and wants trustees to invest in a pro-climate change way, it's very simple. They put another line in that bill, which they haven't done, saying that the principle of Kern and Scargill, in the case, the leading case, which says you have to maximise returns, does not apply to the extent necessary to take into account the most important issues of climate change. It's a bit messy, but if you're going to actually try and change behaviour, that's the way to do it, not by beating the trustees up and yet not untying their hands so they can do it. And there's another argument that climate change, that you can change behaviours by continuing to be invested in those companies and try to vote and try to engage with the company, see what they can do in in terms of turning their business with a more green approach. Can that also be an argument? But one of the problems I think that is missed by most of the policymakers in relation to pensions is that most investments are not direct. Virtually no pension scheme invests directly, apart from the very large ones, and usually then that's not investment into companies. So you are not looking at the fund manager, and actually they're probably holding funds of funds of funds of funds. So you're probably three or four levels down before you actually get to the entity. Somebody, of course, is voting, I would argue maybe, again, the trustees are not the people to be beating up here, possibly the fund managers, the people who are actually investing. Because one of the problems is that trustees have gone to fund managers and said, we want you as a matter of governance to take these things into account. And the fund managers have said, no. And then what can you do as a trustee? Yes, you can move to another investment vehicle, but then you'll get the same answer. So you need to actually attack the people who can do something. I find it really frustrating that trustees seem to be something people want to attack and get to do things that maybe somebody else should be doing. And Adrian, is the problem the same in the master trusts um, sector? I think there's a sea change of of opinion happening here at the moment. And if you start by going out and talking to the customers, and in particular, if you talk to the millennials that are our, our newest customers, they are increasingly saying that what their investment does is far more important than the return that investment is achieving. And I fully take Rosalind's point that it was a hastily drafted amendment and maybe it hasn't quite hit the spot. But we've got several committee stages to go through yet and there's plenty of time for government to to get it right. But I think as a signpost, it's saying it's not going to be good enough for trustees in future to say, oh, it's too difficult for us to do things on climate change because we haven't got the direct responsibility. I think there's a very clear marker down here and I think it reflects the way the people out in the country are feeling that they've asked their trustees to look after their investments and they want their investments to be doing something positive about climate change. And that must be right. I think there's a particular issue with money purchase, which, of course, in the Master's Trust space is the big issue. Money purchase schemes, people are very much saying... I want the investments I want. It's very different with DB, where actually, which is where I'm afraid the majority of the money has been. Of course, in the future, we're expecting this to change. 
And maybe there is a distinction there between DB and DC. I thought it was very interesting, the case towards the end of last year of the guy who worked for the League Against Cruel Sports complaining of the lack of what I understand are termed vegan investments, i.e. investments which do not exploit animals in any way. I think it's quite legitimate to say you're the League Against Cruel Sports. You must have a lot of employees and members of your pension scheme who don't want to invest in any way that exploits animals. That's part of who you are. And that, to me, makes an awful lot of sense. I absolutely agree. In the DC world, we are getting people saying, this is what I want my investment to do. And if the trustees are not going to be in a place where anyone's going to sue them for lack of return because it's what they asked for then I think that is an excellent way to go. Yes, I think there's an interesting distinction here between what it is that individual members want, and in some cases in DC we can create funds you know, that, that have particular tilts and would enable people perhaps to invest in things. And I guess the Sharia Fund is probably the best example of that. And a lot of DC schemes today will offer a Sharia Fund so that their Muslim members can invest in that. But that's catering to individual choice. And I think what this is about is catering to what basically is a global emergency that people are beginning to wake up to and realising that this isn't something that's somebody else's problem. It isn't something that somebody else should be doing. It's something that we all have to be doing something about, even if it appears to be terribly difficult and we can't quite see how we can do it at the moment. We've got to push through and find the ways that we can do something about it. And I don't disagree. My, I think part of the point the PLSA were making is if you, the government, want to do something about this, please, please don't think it's about you getting trustees to do something. As I say before, governments can do a lot. They're not vote winners. So can they actually do the things that are necessary and unpopular rather than beating up other people. I think pensions industry has had a lot of beating up for things that's not its fault. And it's beginning to frighten me that somebody thinks that this is going to be the government's policy on climate change. And speaking about requests to trustees, um, the pensions regulator published last week its response to the consultation on the future of trusteeship when it announced that they'll be conducting checks on trustees' knowledge but also announced there will not be a requirement to have a professional trustee in every board and not making any actions on sole trusteeships. Rosalind, I'll start with you. Was this expected? Do you think that the regulator was not did not risk enough in this in this response? I was slightly surprised. I'm conscious that when I spoke to other people in the industry and I'm I'm aware that the Association of Pension Lawyers and others responded, there were a lot of responses saying This all sounds like a great idea, but uh, one of the obvious buts being that a lot of the schemes they were targeting are very small DB schemes, of which there are a large number with poor governance, uh, apparently, according to the regulator's research, that actually throwing on that a professional trustee may not be the way way of dealing with an organisation that probably doesn't have enough money anyway for what it's doing. And that instead, that there seemed to be a bit of an assumption that a professional trustee would always be great and that uh, lay trustees aren't, which I don't think is fair to either. Actually, and Professional trustees are generally really very good, but most of them would say lay trustees are quite helpful. I would say I was surprised that they climbed down from what I had assumed was a position that the regulator was taking and was just asking people for opinions on. I actually, in one broader sense, was quite pleased that the regulator was clearly taking account of what it was that was concerning people. I'm not sure that there's an obvious and easy answer here. Everyone knows there are lots of small, not very well run pension schemes out there, or at least some of them are not very well run. 
And I understand the value of consolidators. I understand the value of wanting to do something about it. What concerns me is the regulator effectively said as part of that consultation, we don't seem to be able to reach these people. Anybody else got any ideas? And I suspect from the answer, what they got was people saying, no, you're the regulator. If you can't reach them, who can? And hopefully in the end, the regulator's message will get out there to those smaller schemes. But if the regulator isn't getting there, I don't know what the rest of us do. Adrian, uh, part of the consultation was also about defined contribution consolidation, which is something you are aware of and you've been involved in, as the master has taken other schemes. What do you think about what the regulators said? Because they did not get to any conclusion. They just examined the different methods that they can facilitate consolidation. Well, they might be going to use their softly, softly approach that they used very successfully in the master trust world. So we had legislation that said all master trusts must become authorised. There were 108 master trusts at the beginning of the process. It whittled down to 38 at the end of the process. And you might notice not a single master trust was refused authorization. Nobody failed. But somewhere along the line, subtle conversations were had, and about two-thirds of the master trusts decided not to apply for authorization, or they were partway through and they withdrew their application and they merged with somebody else. And in a lot of ways, I think that's a much safer method in terms of, of what it does to the membership. There was much less panic and, and alarm signals going up. And yet a number of schemes, some of which were poorly run, some of which were trying to run themselves well but didn't really have the resources to do it, saw the light at the end of the tunnel and decided the best thing to do was to exit in an orderly manner. And that's what happened. And how can that be applied to the remaining defined contribution world? Well, I think we've got further to go in DC. There'll be more you know, consolidation, more mergers. You'll see more aggregating schemes coming together. And yet more schemes will exit the marketplace. And I think it's a matter of TPR replicating what they've done hugely successfully in Master Trust. You get the people engaged. You get them to realise there are now tougher hurdles to reach them than previously. And maybe this idea which they floated in their consultation response that it's going to be about trustees and it's going to be about them really turning the spotlight on them, upping the requirements of what they expect to see for knowledge and things. And gently, they will explain to some of these schemes that their trustees, they're well-meaning, they're perfectly honest people, are way, way short of the knowledge that they need to have and so cannot exercise their fiduciary duties responsibly and they'll realise it's time to find somebody else to run the scheme for them. Do you think being a trustee is becoming harder and more tougher? Well, as a lawyer, I would say no, but people are beginning to realise it is, which is the change that's happened. Uh, there's a running joke uh, amongst pension lawyers that the pension trustees are the people who were not in the room when the decision was made about who was going to be a pension trustee because it is a challenging role. I would say, actually, in some ways it's clearer now, and that makes it easier. I think coming back to Adrian's example of the Master Trust, one of the effects of that is the people who are trustees of Master Trust now are very, very comfortable about what is expected of them. And the, one of the great things about the continuing supervision after the authorisation process is, if they're not sure, they've got a bloke to call in Brighton. And that's incredibly helpful. I think that's made a world of difference to people's lives.
At the end of our podcast, we have a section which we call Always a Pensions Angle. And this week, we're going to be talking about a movie coming in to the cinemas in February, which is inspired by Philip Green. It's called Greed and tells the story of self-made British billionaire Sir Richard McCready, whose retail empire is in crisis. Adrian, is this a chance for us to see some glimpse of pensions in a big screen? Well, I think it is. And I think the exciting thing, which hopefully they will show, is the sort of negotiations in a closed room that went on. And, and clearly, there was a critical point towards the end of the BHS issue, where you know Sir Philip sat down with the regulator and with the trustees and worked out how he could put in what turned out to be a pretty large sum of money, but not as much as some others were asking, but put it in in a way which actually made sure that the loyal and hardworking shop workers that had sort of manned the tills at BHS for so many years didn't lose all their pension, and hopefully they got a deal that they're happy with. Rosalind, do you think this is good for pensions if we can see, even if it's a short mention in the big screen? I think it's great that people actually are listening to these things. What I'm hoping that they will have in this is a scene in which someone vaguely explains the existence of the PPF. I understand why the PPF got slightly miffed during the whole BHS scandal, because nobody was pointing out that, yes, coming back to Adrian's point about these hardworking, loyal workers who were losing out, they weren't losing out in the way that you would have done 15 years previously because of the PPF. I thought it was a classic example of the PPF being a really useful thing. So I'm hoping that we're going to get a moment in this where somebody comes forward on a white charger going, ah, oh, don't worry, you are going to get some pension because of the Pension Protection Fund, funded by all those other pension schemes. And everyone cheers and they ride off into the sunset. Well, we'll be able to see if there's any kind of pensions mentioned with the film premieres on February 21. Thank you, Adrian, and thank you, Rosalind, for being with us today. And join us again in two weeks for another Pensions Expert podcast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.